Great, please do keep that passage open. That would be brilliant. Uh, John chapter 4, page 1067. Shall we pray? Uh, Lord God, we do thank you for uh, your word. Uh, Thank you for John's Gospels, your word uh, to us. Uh, Lord, please would you speak to us this morning through it by your spirit that we may be changed people uh, devoted to you, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever seen a film called The Truman Show. Truman Show? It was, um, I thought it was that recently. I actually realised it's 20 years since I left university, which is a bit depressing. Uh, but it's a great film back in 98. The lead character, Truman um, Burbank, lives an apparently normal life uh, in an apparently normal world. But it turns out that actually he's been adopted and raised by a TV company. And his world, in fact, is this huge television studio thousands of cameras, and his daily life is broadcast kind of 24-7, 365 days a year. Truman had no idea in that film about the reality of the real world uh, around him, what was going on. Eventually, in his 30s, he kind of realises what the situation is and escapes to reality. But he kind of left with a sense of tragedy, really, that he's had no idea what is really going on around him in the world. And his life to date in one sense, has been, been wasted. Well, in this passage, we will hear Jesus telling us all about uh, reality, what is really going on uh, in the world uh, around us. And we'll hear Jesus call us to bring our lives into line uh, with that reality. And if we hear that call, then we'll find new purpose in life, new joy in life. But if we miss uh, that call, there's every chance that our life uh, will be wasted. I want to bring out two aspects of reality uh, in this passage. The work of God and the will of God. The work of God and the will of God. So first, the work of God. Jesus presents the work of God as a harvest. As a harvest. You know, one person who properly understood this reality is a Samaritan uh, woman, the woman Jesus is talking with in verse uh, 27. Last week we saw, didn't we, the account of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman uh, at the well. And the Samaritan woman is this direct contrast to the character of Nicodemus, who we met earlier in chapter 2. Nicodemus, he's a moral man, a righteous man, upstanding. He'd be acceptable in any social circle. The Samaritan woman, she is a complete opposite. She is an outsider. Outsider in terms of morals, socially, religiously, ethnically, uh, an outsider. She's had five husbands, we learnt last week. The man she's currently with is not a husband. That was seriously immoral at the time. Pretty colourful, you'd say, even today. Socially, she would have been shunned right on the fringe of town life. You can imagine the talking behind her back, the sideways looks, uh, the muttering. Ethnically, she was an outsider. The Jews were the people who God had worked through for two and a half thousand years. Samaritans were the religiously impure hotchpotch enemies uh, of the Jews. Relationships between Jews and Samaritans were a bit like that today between the Jew and the Palestinian. Uh, Sunny and Shia and Norwich City and Ipswich Town supporters. No, that's ridiculous. Not as bad as that. But but that's, that's why these disciples are surprised when they return to find Jesus talking 
with her, verse 27. She's a woman. Jewish men don't speak to women in public. And a Samaritan woman at that, double the shame. And then she meets Jesus. She discovers Jesus knows her. He knows what she's like. He tells her uh, what she's like. He exposes her, shines a light uh, on the skeletons in her cupboards. But as Jesus does so, she discovers someone who doesn't shun her, doesn't reject her, doesn't even say, try harder. Instead, she she discovers someone who accepts her because he can do the thing she needs most. He can forgive her. Just imagine what that was like for her, this Samaritan woman, an outsider. She meets Jesus, she finds forgiveness and welcome. We saw last week she came looking for water to quench her thirst. She finds the one who will give her her living water that will last for an eternity. She spent her life looking for the right husband, the man who can protect and provide. Who does she meet? She meets Jesus, the bridegroom, the one who can protect and provide at the deepest level. And it transforms her, it changes her. She goes out from this encounter with Jesus, back to a town where she's an outsider and wants to do nothing more than speak and point to Jesus, proclaim what he has done. Look at verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Just imagine what that scene would have been like. It would be a great scene, wouldn't it, to paint, if it hasn't already been painted. As people came out of the town uh, towards Jesus, as this kind of wave of people from the town would have come out across the fields. You probably have the young people at the front kind of sprinting ahead, older people at the back kind of pulling up their clothes, trying to keep up, teenagers at the very back pretending to be totally disinterested, but actually secretly, you know, probably a bit curious. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? I wonder who comes to your mind when you think of people who are good at telling others about Jesus. The gifted evangelists, uh, we sometimes call them. Perhaps you think of people who are sorted, presentable, articulate, good at answering questions, good in debate, have nothing to be ashamed of. That is not what this woman is like, is it? Isn't that encouraging? There could not be anyone less together, anyone less sorted, anyone less socially acceptable than her. Would have been really tough going back into the town where she has no standing whatsoever, but she goes. It even seems, doesn't it, that she's not actually joined up the dots in her own mind about Jesus. Could this be the Messiah? Verse 29. Is it him? She's very honest and open. That there's no sense of superiority. No pretense. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Yet she has a profound effect. She points to Jesus and the town wants to come and hear more. Why? Because being effective at pointing people to Jesus is not about being sorted. 
It's about being changed, being transformed. That is what has happened to this woman. She points people to Jesus. Come and see this man. And do you see how the Samaritans come? How as they come, they believe. Verse 39, towards the end of the reading. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Jesus stays with them for two days uh, at their urging, and because of his, because of Jesus' words, many more became believers. Verse 41. Samaritan woman, she points people to Jesus. Unlike the disciples, it's fair to say. Disciples arrive back, don't they, from this shopping trip uh, for lunch. Verse 27. Tesco environmentally friendly Hessian bags probably bulging. Uh, with food for lunch. You can imagine their inner thoughts as they see Jesus talking with this woman. She's a woman. She's a Samaritan. Aren't you embarrassed? What are people going to think? This is, this is not right. So you can imagine, can't you, their relief uh, as the woman heads back to the town. Now we can get down to business, disciples think, verse 31. Time for lunch. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. What could be more important than lunch? You can kind of picture, can't you, Jesus' shoulders sort of dropping as he just sees, you know, disciples have just misunderstood again. They can't see uh, what is is going on. So Jesus teaches them, doesn't he? Verse, Verse 32. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus is saying to the disciples here, you're so preoccupied with the day-to-day. You can't see what is going on around you. Open your eyes. Look at the fields. It's harvest time. It's harvest time. Many crops, I'm told, are grown uh, in the spring, aren't they? They're planted in the spring around March time and then they're harvested four months or so later at the end of the summer. So the farmer sows, kind of kicks back for a few months and relaxes. hope there's no farmers here. And, and then goes out and harvests the crop four months later. What is the point Jesus is making here? He's saying it's now harvest time all of the time. Waiting time is over, harvest time all of the time. What's happened? At the well, Jesus planted the seed for the Samaritan woman, and now you've got this harvest coming in. This wave of Samaritans are coming out of the town towards Jesus. Open your eyes and look at the fields, says Jesus. It's harvest time. The harvest Jesus has come to bring in is a harvest of people. He's come to gather in people. This is the phase of history that the disciples stood in and that we stand in uh, today. With his arrival, Jesus is saying, the time has come for God to bring in the harvest. This is the mission of God. This is what John wants us to get from his gospel, wants us to grasp Jesus came from heaven, the words became flesh. And he's bringing with him words 
of the Father, the words of God, word that speaks of eternal life. Jesus' mission is to reveal those words to the world, takes him all the way to the cross. Jesus, the harvester, has arrived. Time of harvest has begun. And what is the really big news from John chapter 4? Everyone, everyone is to be the subject of God's harvesting activity. So here, here Jesus harvests the most unlikely of women to be a child of God, a member of God's kingdom, and a whole town of Samaritans, unlikely Samaritans, follow. Perhaps you're here this morning and you wonder, can Jesus really be for me, even for me? What does this incident say? It says yes. Jesus gathers people from every background, from every religion, every social status, every strand of morality. He calls all people to worship him in spirit and truth. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, Jesus is gathering in people. The work of God is to harvest people. If that is the work of God, what is the will of God? Secondly, the will of God is that we would get reaping. We get reaping. If Jesus is preoccupied with the work of God. The disciples, they're preoccupied with lunch. So much so, they are blind to what God is doing around them. Their focus is on the immediate, and it blocks them seeing what God is doing. Isn't the same often true for us? All around us, the truth is, the mission of God is going on. Jesus Christ is bringing people to eternal life. And yet we get preoccupied uh, with the day-to-day. So our focus is on the job that we do, uh, or that we want to do. The place we're living, uh, or we want to live. The person we're married to, uh, or we want to marry. The children we have, or we want to have. A mortgage to pay, a pension to build, a holiday to book a Christmas to prepare for. These things are not bad in themselves. That's not what is going on here. They're good things. But if they become priority number one, they distract us from the things that God is doing. Distract us from joining in the work of God. Priorities uh, become skewed. I wonder, do we have that sense of privilege, the sense of honour, the lasting value the high calling that we have of living at this time in history. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Something we see often in Norfolk, isn't it? You know, wheat fields there in the sun, the heads of the corn ripe and heavy, bending in the sun, swinging in the breeze. Combine harvest, they're kind of cutting through uh, the field. What's going on around us? The harvest is coming in. That's what's going on Jesus is bringing in the harvest. Just think of the places that you spend uh, your time, the people that you, that you see each week. Think of Carrow Road rocking occasionally on a, on a match day. The fields are ripe 
for harvest. Think of Prince of Wales Road pulsing on a Saturday night. The fields are ripe for harvest. Crowds of parents at the school gate at drop-off time. The fields are ripe for harvest. The people sweating alongside you in the gym, devoted to their physical well-being. The fields are ripe for harvest. Your open-plan office, desks packed in to save on rent. The fields are ripe for harvest. The street where you live, the fields are ripe for harvest. A world of seven billion people, the fields are ripe for harvest. The harvest is coming in. I wonder how do you see other people? How do you look at other people? It's tempting to think, well, Jesus is not, he's not for that person. She's, she's too young, she's too old, too sorted, too content. A Muslim. This is just not the right time for that conversation. There'll be another time for that conversation. Perhaps you're just not interested, really, in people. You kind of think, actually, my world's fine. I've got my, my nice, tight family unit, a few friends. My world's sealed over. Got no more capacity. These verses challenge us, don't they, to see a harvest field full of people waiting to be drawn in. People who are heading towards death, but through the words of Jesus Christ could be brought to life. People who, as it stands, are heading to hell, but through the words of Jesus, could be brought to heaven. People who are lost, but through the words of Jesus, could be found. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. If you have a mobile phone with you this morning, why don't you get it out for a moment? Pull out your mobile phone if you've got it, got it with you. Pull out your mobile, put it on silence so you don't get any embarrassing calls. That's your doctor. Open up the calendar on your mobile phone if you use it. What does it say for Monday morning in your calendar? What does it say for Monday morning? Drop the kids, go to work. Pick up Christmas present from John Lewis. I suppose the question is, what should we put alongside whatever we've got in the calendar? Surely we should put this. It's harvest time. It's harvest time. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Put it away now, it's fine. Point made. But, I mean, Jesus says to his disciples that anyone who'd follow him, come and join, come and join in this harvest. Look at verse 36. Even now the reaper draws his wages, even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. This is the saying, one sows and another reaps. It's true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of doing their labor. So when we become a disciple of Jesus, we're not called to sit in the stands and watch the action, are we? Jesus says, get on the pitch, you know, join in the game. Join the scrum, 
take the pass, make the box kick, start the move, finish the try, or get behind the wheel of a combine harvester, be someone who speaks words of Jesus for other people, be someone who prays for harvest work, be someone who gives to support the work of other people as they speak words of Jesus, be someone who points people to Jesus. Maybe you feel burdened um, by that task. It weighs kind of heavily uh, on you. It can be like that, can't it? You have a friend who's, who's not a Christian, you know them well, you want them to come to Jesus. You think, I'm the only Christian they know, or perhaps will ever know. And you kind of think, it's down to us. It's down to me. It sort of weighs heavily on us. What does Jesus say here? Jesus says we're part of a team. One sows and another reaps. We may be, we may be the person who has that big conversation about who Jesus is, explains who Jesus is, sees that person come to faith. Or we may just be the person who years earlier asked a question, posed a thought, that got the person thinking. We dropped a seed and someone else will reap it. That's how it works, doesn't it? That's what Jesus is saying here. You don't have to be the one who takes somebody from the beginning to the end. It's not down to us. We can sow and another may reap. Liberating truth. And, and as we sow, as we reap together, our experience will, will be one of joy, won't it? Verse 36. The sower and the reaper may be glad together. So as we join in this, in this work of God, bringing the good news of Jesus to a fallen world, we will be glad. We'll be glad. We'll be filled with joy. I was reflecting on my own experiences in life uh, on that. And that is certainly true for me, strikingly true. Those times when I've been with other people engaged in telling people about Jesus are the times certainly uh, when I have known the deepest joy. And they're all too infrequent. We want to know deep gladness and joy. What does Jesus say? Get reaping. Maybe you think, do we lack a bit of joy or gladness as a church here? Maybe that is a prod for us to get stuck in together to the work of God. Because we'll experience joy and gladness together. And more so, surely, on that final day when we stand with people who have been gathered in by Jesus from every walk of life, to praise him for eternity. What is the truth at the heart of these verses? It is that the world, the world has a saviour. Verse 42, they said to the woman, verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. They listen to the Samaritan woman, what she has to say. They listen to Jesus and what he has to say. And they conclude, this man really is the saviour of the world. The world, as John understands it in his gospel, is the whole world. People the world over are in rebellion against God, walking away from him. But the world that wants nothing to do with God has a saviour in Jesus Christ. And the Samaritans coming to Jesus is a pivotal, pivotal moment in history. It marks that moment 
when the work of God is no longer just among Jews, but for everyone, Jew and Gentile, from this day on, the gospel goes out, the good news of Jesus goes out to the nations, from person to person, to person to person, and now it comes to us here today. The fields are ripe for harvest. All around us, God is at work. God is harvesting people, gathering people for himself. What is the will of God that we would get reaping for eternity? Surely we don't want to waste our lives. Let's join in this work. Let's pray. Lord God, we do praise you that you are a God who is for all people. Lord, we praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, that he opens up the way back to you for all people from every nation, background, religion, race, creeds, morality. Lord God, we praise you for that liberating truth. Lord, we pray for uh, us, uh, that we would, uh, as individuals, as a church here, understand that deeply. Uh, That you'd cause us to live lives that reflect uh, the truth of who you are, that you are the saviour for the world that we might point people to Jesus, that we might see people that come to faith. But if we don't, we know that we're doing your work. We're planting seeds and other may reap. Please would you help us to do that? And would the glory go to you in that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.